You are listening to a Commonwealth Bank of Australia Global Economic and Markets Research Podcast. This podcast provides general market-related information and is not intended to be an investment research report. The information contained in this podcast is based on previously published material. And before listening, you're advised to read the full Global Economic and Markets Research Disclaimers, which can be found at combankresearch.com.au. Welcome to the Global Economic and Markets Research Podcast. My name is Belinda Allen and I'm a senior senior economist here at ComBank and today I'm joined by our Head of International Economics, Joseph Caperso. Joe, nice to have you on. Great to be back again, Belinda. Now, the war in the Ukraine uh, has obviously sparked a lot of debate about what the impact is not only on global economic growth, on European economic growth and also inflation. It's really been one of those topics that... We've spent a lot of time talking about internally and to clients so far in 2022. Has it caused you to shift your view on the outlook for the global economy in 2022? It certainly has. And as you say, it's mainly about Europe more Mm. than um, the the wider economy. Uh, One, one, I guess, idiosyncrasy about the... um, the, the, the conflict in Ukraine is that it's given the world, but particularly Europe a commodity shock. Mm. Uh, so it's things like uh, gas and oil uh, that are really impacting Europe. But but in terms of the global dimension, it's things like uh, wheat and, and potash that um, that part of the world is a very large supplier of. So it, it has a number of dimensions, but it's mainly focused on Europe. And, and the point you make in your global update note is – Russia is a major supplier of commodities, so that's kind of the impact we're seeing come through rather than being a big demander in the global economy. That's right. So whenever we think about an economic issue, the simplest way is to look at it from the perspective of demand Mm. and the perspective of supply. When it comes to demand, the Russian economy, uh, despite having um, 150 or so million people, their economy is really small. Mm. It's only a little bit larger than the Australian economy. And as you know, Australia is a small, open economy subject to the uh, the winds of change in the world economy. And uh, Russia's quite small too. Uh, but when it comes to supply, uh, Russia is very important in certain commodities, uh, particularly metals, energy, and a few agricultural commodities. So you have had to trim your global GDP forecast as a result of, of mainly a downgrade in the European economy. Where do the forecasts stand at the moment? So we, we, we cut our global economic uh, forecast uh, this year from 4.5% to 4.1%. And that, uh, as you say, is, is mainly a downgrade to, to Europe, uh, which was cut from 4.2%. 3.3%, but we note that uh, the risk is that European growth is even weaker uh, than that uh, updated forecast. There's a lot of debate at the moment about what will this, I guess, commodity price shock mean for the consumer? At what point does it effectively become a tax on the consumer? And it came at a time where we saw inflation pressures rise anyway. But it's important to remember that high consumer inflation is not a global phenomenon. We're actually seeing very different inflation pressures throughout the global economy. That's right. So um, what what we've been uh, banging on about for a number of months now is that uh, we read a lot about high inflation, but high inflation is really only in a handful of economies, 
it's mainly in Europe, mm. North America, and and New Zealand and and Australia. Uh, but there's a whole part of the world, um, particularly East Asia, where in most countries inflation is less than three percent, and sometimes less than two percent. Mm. So the the high inflation narrative that we read a lot about is what you might call a Western phenomenon rather than a global phenomenon. And we, of course, will see central banks react very differently in those economies. And we'll touch on that as we go through the outlook for the key economies that we cover. So we'll do that now. I'm going to start with China. Uh, We've seen a slight downgrade in our Chinese GDP forecast uh, for 2022 from 5.5% to 5.2%, but a slight upgrade to 2023. What are the main thematics we need to watch closely in China at the moment? So for for China, uh, the government there is still persisting with a COVID zero policy. As you know, Australia tried that and eventually gave up with, with Omicron. Uh, but the Chinese government is is persisting with that, uh, d- d- despite uh, Omicron um, moving uh, quite uh, quite a bit through the country. Uh, so that means lockdowns and restrictions and the like, and that of course um, makes life very difficult for businesses involved in uh, in-person consumer services. So we, we that's why we did downgrade this year's economic growth. Uh, we, we're expecting that the Chinese government will eventually relent later in the year, and that should, uh, after a period of uh, transition, should allow for a pickup in economic growth in China. The other thing that we, the reason we expect Chinese economic growth to pick up is because um, local governments have been allowed to issue more bonds to finance infrastructure spending. And uh, they didn't use all, the, all their bond allocation last year, but that's been carried over to this year. So that's looking like uh, quite a lot of uh, extra construction spending this year. And we'll also see support from policymakers as well. That's right. Um, so you, we're also expecting um, the People's Bank of China, China's central bank, uh, to keep cutting uh, the reserve requirement ratio. That allows makes it easier for banks to lend. And there's also likely to be a small cut to the policy interest rate as well. Now, the Japanese economy has had quite a sluggish recovery compared to the other major economies we cover. Uh, I mean, Japan has its own, I guess, structural issues, but what what are some of the, the near-term issues that have really led to that sluggish growth? So much of Japan, not all, but much of Japan has been in what you might call a quasi-state of emergency or, or, or lockdown. Uh, in, in a lot of the uh, prefectures, including uh, the big one, Tokyo. Mm. Uh, so, look, that, that certainly uh, slowed the, the recovery down. But a, as you say, um, J- Japan does have structural issues, which is you know, basically boils down to very weak population, where the population has been falling for mm. a long time. Uh, and, of course, um, energy prices uh, are, are, a, are quite a negative for, for a place like Japan because they more or less import all of their energy. So they're definitely going to be impacted by increased costs of energy and that's going to filter through to um, to both businesses and consumers and, and most likely slow the uh, Japanese economic recovery. And we're not expecting any tightening by the Bank of Japan this year or next just because of those factors, which is obviously very different to some of the other major economies we cover. Oh, that's right. I mean, 
Japan's been in a um, period of either low inflation or deflation for all of our career, Belinda. I suspect that's going to continue for uh, all of our career. Well, at least mine. I'm a bit older than you, so probably all of my career. (laughs) We shall see. Sounds like a good bet. Um, Moving on to the US economy. Now, they've had a very solid recovery, a very tight labour market. We've had the USFMC start to lift interest rates there. So I guess... When we think about the outlook for the US, it's it's kind of tossing up between the impact of higher interest rates, but still a very strong economy that has a very tight labour market. How are those issues going to unfold this year? So I guess an easy way to think about it is that interest rates are going up because the economy is really strong. Mm. So that, that's, that's a positive signal. Um, consumers still have a fair bit of uh, money stashed away. Uh, when their savings rates uh, went through the roof. So that's probably going to keep household spending uh, chugging along quite well. Now, mortgage rates in the US have gone up quite a bit, uh, but but the uh, the American construction industry has gone through a very, very long period of underbuilding. And so they have incredibly tight housing markets mm. where prices are rising and vacancy rates are very low. Uh, so, look, I think it's going to take quite a while for the housing market there to slow down just because they've just underbuilt more or less since the GFC. So that, that's a long time ago. Yes, and I started my career back in that uh, US housing boom in the mid-2000s, so it's interesting to hear the flip side of what we saw uh, back then. Now, we obviously have the FOMC uh, continuing to tighten. We've been saying for some time that they're behind the curve. We've now got the peak in the funds rate at 3.25% in mid-2023. I was interested to see, though, that you now have put in an easing cycle after that. That's right. If there's one lesson um, that history tells us about uh, US monetary policy is that uh, the time period between the last hike by the Fed and their first cut is actually quite short. Mm. If you look at the last um, seven or eight tightening cycles, that time period between the last hike and and the first cut it averages at less than six months. Short. So very short, that's right. Unlike, say, the Reserve Bank of yeah. Australia, which can go literally years without changing uh, policy. So unfortunately, that the Fed have a, a history of over-tightening, which I then got to quickly uh, change tack and start loosening. And we, we think there's a, there's a good chance that exactly that will happen because the Fed is currently very, very behind in their tightening cycle. So chances are they'll over-tighten at some point next year. Now, turning our attention to Canada, which we don't uh, always talk about, but it's very interesting because they're closely correlated to the US economy, but have a lot of similarities to the Australian economy because of their commodity export nature. What is happening in the Canadian economy? They've already started lifting interest rates as well. Yeah, that's right. They started uh, last year, uh, sorry, earlier this year, mm. lifting interest rates. Uh, they were one of the first to uh, stop quantitative uh, easing uh, last year. Mm. Uh, so, look, the, the Canadians are going to get a boost uh, from from the high energy prices. Canada's um, has got quite a uh, impressive uh, oil and gas industry, uh, the shale industry. So that that's going to be quite important. Uh, that will uh, stimulate investment and employment and wages in Canada's uh, energy sector, and that will uh, ripple through uh, the, the entire economy. 
But one thing we've been keeping an eye on in Canada is that inflation expectations have been rising. We've seen that in the US as well. And the danger there is that high inflation expectations have become embedded and they deliver persistent high inflation. And, it's very, and it can be quite difficult to, uh, to get out of the system. So we're forecasting the Canadians will hike interest rates by another 100 basis points uh, this year. Uh, but the risk is growing that they actually hike by more than that. And they might even do a 50-point hike um, in, in, a, in even potentially this month's meeting. So Canada's looking a bit like Australia in that they're getting the boost to incomes from high commodity prices, but they're also looking a bit like America mm. in that uh, they could well have an inflation problem if they're not careful. Now, one country that has, I guess, less of an inflation problem and we're not expecting uh, the ECB to lift rates soon, we will expect them to lift rates uh, later this year, is Europe. So you've downgraded the Eurozone GDP growth to 3.3% was 4.2%. Inflation is rising, but there's less uh, need to move quickly. Well, and and that's because um, in in, in the case of of Europe, the the high inflation readings, much more than the US, uh, reflect high energy prices as opposed to high core inflation, which in turn reflects high wage growth. So weak wages in, in, in Europe versus high wage growth in, in America, very high headline inflation mm. in both countries, but it's mainly, um, mainly energy prices. So look, in, in Europe, we're, we're worried. Um, we think they're the most likely economy to, uh, to go through a, a period of stagflation. So that's um, high unemployment and high uh, inflation, they're the most likely candidates for that. Um, how the ECB reacts to that is really the $16 million question uh, because the ECB certainly have a history of um, tightening at any, uh, at any sign that um, high inflation is spilling over into a pickup in wage growth. So we're looking at the wage numbers uh, particularly closely in Europe. Uh, we do expect uh, the ECB to start hiking rates uh, towards the end of the year, probably in the final quarter of this year. We don't expect them to hike very much. Uh, nowhere near as, say, as high as say, the Americans are going to get to or even the Reserve Bank of Australia will, will end up at because the, these high inflation numbers are going to sap purchasing power. Now, turning our attention to the UK, and there's a, kind of a similar argument that could be made about the high energy prices impacting on consumer activity because the UK is a net energy importer. The Bank of England already have started lifting interest rates. They have a different uh, inflation rate and acceleration than Europe and also a different labour market as well. What is happening in the UK? So in the UK, they got in reasonably early. Mm. uh, Late last year, they started hiking rates. So they sort of got a few away before, before the war started. Uh, now, they've got high inflation, both high core and high headline, so it's a bit more serious than what you see in Europe. So they really did need to start earlier than Europe, and, and it's good that they did. Uh, but, but given um, the UK's very high trade dependency on Europe, whatever is bad for Eurozone is going to eventually uh, rebound on, onto the UK. So we're, we're expecting the Bank of England to hike 
another three or so times uh, to about one and a half percent, whereas market pricing is closer to a bit over two percent. So we are a little a, a little different, and that just reflects our, our view that um, that the UK eventually is going to slow down because of um, the, the uh, upcoming weakness in Europe. Joe, it's been a great. Uh trip around the world really we've covered uh, most of the economies apart from Australia which is obviously uh, we've talked about lately in other podcasts appreciate you joining today you're welcome look forward to the next one and you can read Joseph Caposo's outlook and his team's outlook on the global economy on which was published on the 30th of March 2022 on combankresearch.com.au